You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Tristan, Julie, all who overcame the crashing of the computer. Bluetooth, it looks like a Bluetooth problem, so... Hopefully we'll get that fixed uh, before the next service. Well, welcome to Grace Community Church. If it's your first time, we extend to you a very special welcome and would like to say thank you for being here with us this morning. Just a couple of things Ricky mentioned I want to just say in passing. Next week, outdoors, 10 o'clock, out back, bring a chair. Uh, We'll have chairs if you forget your chair, but... It'll be good to be all together as a family, a church family. And then the week after, October 23rd, after the service, first impressions, uh, team meeting, we're going to be training for anyone who would be interested. It would be good for you to be here, whether you plan to be on this team or not. I've really, I've encouraged elders and deacons to be here. There will be a meal. Um, If enough people come, we'll have steak and lobster Otherwise, we'll uh, go with subs or something like that. So, and I'll let you know on the day whether it's enough people. How about that? So, sign up online. We'd love for you to be here. And like I say, even if you're not going to be on the team, just to have an idea of the importance of welcoming people and how to do it. And and if you're thinking, well, I'm an introvert, you may be surprised. There's a place for you on this team. If you listen to Albert Moeller's podcast, uh, The Briefing, perhaps you heard this week about an Australian rules football team in Melbourne, Victoria. Victoria is the state, Melbourne the city, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, that hired Andrew Thorburn to be the CEO of their professional rugby club, like a general manager or a president of an NFL team only to fire him 24 hours later. What did they find out? I mean, has this person done prison time or is he an abuser or what? What did they find out? Well, they discovered that he was chairman of his mission board or elder board at an evangelical church there in Melbourne. And in 2013, the pastor preached a sermon that was against, uh, that came out against abortion and same-sex marriage. Melbourne, by the way, is where two of our missionaries live. Mike, Mike and Sarah later live in the central business district right in the heart of town. Dave and Wynn Knight live a little bit out, maybe an hour out of the city. Now, there is no doubt that Victoria is the most progressive state in Australia. You might recall when, that it was announced last year that if you are a counselor, if you're a pastor or you're a biblical counselor, someone comes to you wanting counsel about same-sex attraction or possibly uh, gender dysphoria, and you counsel in a biblical manner, but it's not to their liking. If they report you, you can spend up to 10 years in prison. In Australia, in the West, is Melbourne an outlier or is it a harbinger of difficult days ahead for the Western church? 
Rusty Reno of First Things summed up our times when he said this, quote, We have spent down our cultural and religious inheritance. What little binds us together is only the vestige of a saner, more God-fearing hour. Close quote. But is it the church's responsibility to change the culture? We like to think that it's our privilege and that we are able to do that, but it, is it our responsibility? It's not, um, and this question, by the way, may be more difficult to answer in the 21st century than it was the first century. It's not that Scripture has evolved, truth has changed. It's just that the believers in Corinth had no illusions about bringing their faith to the public square. Now, when I say that, the Apostle Paul, of course, would go to the marketplace and he would argue with individuals or share the gospel, preach the gospel to them on a one-to-one basis. But nobody went on television or debated at forums Unless they were asked then, like Paul, and they dismissed him quickly from Athens at the Areopagus, if you'll remember, at Mars Hill. Nobody had a public stance that promoted biblical values. If they had done so on a regular basis, the leaders of the city would have almost certainly shut down the church. We don't live in the first century, so our role is different. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, though, did not encourage them to be very public about their faith in a, in a corporate kind of a way. By all means, individuals were to witness to others. But he made it crystal clear that God's design for his people is to promote God's creation, order, and the gospel. Purity is expected in the church. Our text today is 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. It's part two of a passage about which David Pryor says, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20 is as constructive a contribution to Christian sexual ethics that we can find inside or outside the New Testament. I read that quote three weeks ago when we were in part one of this two-part sermon. We're going to back up to verse 9 to get a fuller picture of God's instructions to the church in matters to which our modern world is increasingly opposed in its thinking. Or about which. Three weeks ago, we dug into the meaning of the text. I'll give a brief review of a few key verses But the primary focus this morning will be on application of this first century teaching to believers in our 21st century age. The text is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 6, 9 to 20. I keep doing that, but we'll begin by reading verses 18 to 20. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Whom you have from God, within you whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. 
So glorify God in your body. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Be seated. So in reviewing this text, I'm only going to address the portions that speak to today's focus, which is how we should live in a culture moving rapidly away from a morality that is informed by Scripture. I find the the, the structure and the meaning of this text fascinating. If you weren't here three weeks ago and you're interested in the details, you can find both the written and spoken forms of the sermon on our website. In verse 9, if you've got your Bibles open, typically it would be on the screen. But if you have your Bibles open, in verse 9, the sexually immoral person refers to anyone who has intimate relations with someone um, to whom they are not married. The phrase, men who practice homosexuality, is graphic in the Greek, and it leaves no room for doubt that Paul was condemning same-sex relationships uh, between men or same-sex relations between men. Notice I didn't say, nor does Paul condemn same-sex attraction. Uh, That's not the sin that's referenced here, and I'll address that a little bit later. Uh, Also, if you're thinking, but only men are mentioned. If you go to Romans 1, uh, Paul condemns the practice among women as well. So before we move on to verse, uh, uh, before we move on, verse eleven seems to indicate that believers were practicing some of these sins, and Paul was saying, "What are you doing? This is this is how you used to live when you were not bound for heaven. In fact, people who practice these kind of sins, they're they're not the people who are going to heaven. So why are you still acting this way? Every indication he was talking to believers, and he was saying, "Quit it! Stop it!" There are other ways uh, verses 10 to 11 could be understood, but that seems to be the best interpretation to me. In verses 12 to 14, Paul addressed the popular Christian slogans of the day, one being, all things are lawful for me. And Paul said, "Uh, yes, but but don't abuse your Christian freedom. We are free in Christ, but do not (laughs) abuse your freedom. The statement in verse 13 that the Corinthians used to justify immoral behavior had nothing to do with Christian thought, but was a perversion of Plato's dualist philosophy. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. The Lord's going to destroy them both. Look, the, the body is no big deal, so eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And Paul was saying, no, 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 the body is a big deal. Your body will be resurrected just like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected. Verse 15 is more specific. And once again, this is very graphic in the Greek. Paul states that the members and organs of believers' bodies in God's eyes represent the body of Christ on earth. That is how powerful our identity with Jesus is. For believers to be sexually immoral is to involve Jesus in an illicit relationship. One flesh, 
God's design for human sexuality is repeatedly stated in Scripture. It began with Adam and Eve, and it will continue until Jesus returns. Marriage in Scripture always joins one man, one woman. Verse 18 tells us plainly that sexual sins are of a different nature than any other sin. One flesh has to be more than a physical union. When you give yourself to someone in a relationship this way, you're giving your soul, your spirit, even if you think you're not, if you're thinking it's casual, it's hookup, it's one night, it's... No. You give your soul to the person, but to do this to a body that is so closely identified with the body of Christ... And is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, there are next level consequences associated with this sin. At the end of verse 19 and in verse 20, we have no right to sin in this way. We were bought as slaves. I think many times we tend to think... <coughs> Excuse me, I was a slave to sin. Lord, Lord Jesus bought me with his freedom, and now I'm free to run and be who I, God meant for me to be. And no, he purchased us as slaves, and we're still slaves. Now, we're slaves to a whole lot better master. We were slaves to sin and destruction. Now we're slaves to Christ to love, to life, but we do not belong to ourselves. Therefore, glorify God in your soul. I, I mean, in your spirit. I mean, glorify God in your heart. No, what does it say? Glorify God with your body, in your body. This is a great place to jump into the five points of application, beginning with this. Bodies matter. This is loudly affirmed in the incarnation, life, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus' body. Sam Alberry, in his excellent book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, said this. Jesus' incarnation is the highest compliment the human body has ever been paid. You could go in multiple directions with the statement, bodies matter. But the focus of our text is responsibility to respect our bodies as designed by God and belonging to God. Let me read that first point again for the note takers because I, I, I know it was quick and it's not on the screen. Bodies matter. This is loudly affirmed in the incarnation, life, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus' body. For those of us who were actually alive before the internet existed, it is difficult to keep up with the rapidly evolving shape and function of this service and, and the changes it brings to our culture. Perhaps the biggest danger is the ability that we now possess to live virtually or in not so much a make-believe world as in a world that we create. 
There's no doubt that the more time we spend in front of a screen, more time we live in a virtual world through gaming and all forms of social media, where we see our bodies there, or we put pictures there that really aren't us, and we imagine ourselves to be there in another world. The greater the temptation is to think less of our bodies, and we should. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food, no big deal. God's going to destroy them both. If you don't like what you see in the mirror... Change your online image because that is increasingly the real you. Brett McCracken in a recent Gospel Coalition article speculated that our inclination to live more and more in a virtual world and not in the real world has fueled interest and participation in the transgender movement. If we are more invested in our online image than in an understanding of whom God has made us to be, we live, quote, in a society increasingly disconnected from tangible reality. I doubt there's anybody here that would agree with that quote. No, wait, there's everybody here would agree with that quote. We're less connected to a tangible reality than we ever have been. Another uh, 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 thing that that Scripture does very clearly is to to affirm the importance of Jesus' body and thus our bodies as well. The author, uh, author of Hebrews, in affirming the superiority of Jesus' sacrifice over animal sacrifice, said in Hebrews 10.5, Consequently, When Christ came into the world, he said, and then he quotes Psalms, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. It is no small thing that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, as the Apostles' Creed affirms. We should also note that in Romans 12, 1, we are urged to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. So, are you satisfied with your body? Do you like who God made you to be? I imagine there are times when you have the same experience in front of the mirror as I do. Shock, but not all. <laughs> why, why wouldn't we be disappointed We've seen the images of others on social media, and frankly, we don't measure up. And with all of that noise, it's hard to believe the truth of Psalm 139, that we were uniquely and specially crafted in our mother's wombs, wombs, handmade as it were. Your body and what you do with your body matters. A lot of brand new babies around here. Two more coming anytime with Ray and Zach. We've been following this because these these little twins have been in trouble, but the Lord has sustained them through many, many weeks. A lot of prayer. Continue to be in prayer. And Zach and Ray are 
they're committed to waiting until the babies are born to find out the sex. So we've been praying for baby A and baby B. And they've been doing quite well, even though the doctor said, don't, don't think it's going to be too good. But they're doing well. Pray for these and pray for every baby that's born here. But guess what? There was a time when people were praying for you. Or they were excited about you anyway. Not nearly as excited as God was though when he handcrafted you. And made you just the way you are. The body matters. The incarnation of Jesus tells us just what God thinks about the human body. Second, because of Jesus' completed work, we belong to him. Our bodies are identified as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus' completed work, we belong to him. Our bodies are identified as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, who is the real you? Is it your inner body? Is it your body or is it in your inner self? As in your soul? Your body or the inner the correct answer would be, as it so often is, yes. Our emphasis, though, on the real person being housed in a body, which may or may not be to our liking, this emphasis that's in the world today, find the real you. It's not your body. It's who you are on the inside. That thinking is incomplete and, frankly, theologically Inaccurate if that's all you think about. You are only who is inside of you. So this emphasis on the real me, which is thought to be the inner self, has left us as a society with an identity crisis in relation to our bodies. Even the evangelical emphasis on the individual over the church family has led to a lot of problems. And can create identity crises within the church. Look, we're all part of the body of Christ, right? Our text implies that our individual bodies are more than mere representatives of the body of Christ. We are said <clears throat> to have Christ members as part of our bodies. So talk about responsibility as individual followers of Christ. Think about this. You have an illicit relationship with someone or an inappropriate relationship. You're bringing Christ in there. Into the bed. Almost always when the body of Christ is referenced in the New Testament, it's the body as a whole. But in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about our individual responsibilities as well. A few weeks ago, Allison and I saw a billboard that read, a quote that I used, and I think in this very sermon or this very text a few uh, weeks ago, you be you, splattered. I mean, it's huge. You be you. According to our text, you can't do that. You're not your own. If you're a believer, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You're going to need to make up your mind. 
Either the truth of scripture is going to guide your life and you will understand that your whole being, including your body, belongs to the Lord. Or you're going to find yourself on a train that is moving so far and so fast, you cannot exit it without great damage. Do not be seduced by the appeal and the power of numbers. No one ever said this is going to be easy. Sam Alberry, the aforementioned author, freely confesses that he is same-sex attracted. But he also joyfully affirms God's design for marriage as be- being between one man and one woman. Alberry said, quote, My primary sense of worth and fulfillment as a human being is not contingent on being romantically or sexually fulfilled. And this is liberating. Not easy, he would say, but liberating. By the way, that book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, outstanding book is another one I'm going to reference that I've been reading this week in preparation. I I hope that all Barry's comments are encouragement to you who are single, but there's very little that you can take that's encouraging if you are single and you want to be married. But... Paul's going to talk about that. When we get to 1 Corinthians 7, we'll go into that in more detail. Some would say, I I just can't agree with the idea that if you're same-sex attracted uh, to members of your sex, that that's different from the act itself. Um, I, I would say this, if you want to take the stand that an attraction to either sex is... Um, sinful, then as a heterosexual, you're going to have a lot of problems with God. Is it the temptation or is it, we know that lust is the same as committing adultery, Jesus says. But it's also very clear that that word lust is a very strong lust. It's a driven lust, but, but it's also clear that When you cross the line to a physical relationship, that's next level. And that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians. My body, my choice. Look, we're talking about a lot of things when we say those words. My body, my choice is not, nor will it ever be, consistent with a biblically informed and directed life, which leads to the next point. Number three, truth will always be true. God's truth will always be true, no matter how skillfully and forcefully the culture says otherwise. Truth's always going to be challenged, right? It, it was the first challenge, in fact, with which humans were confronted. Hey, I, I, I always think, I, I think, Satan used more of a, a NPR voice than a Fox News voice when he, when he said, do you really, look, do you really think God meant what he said when, when he said, you can't eat of this fruit? Look, don't you, don't you know that God knows when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him and he cannot handle that. 
So I, I'm just going to say it. For your own flourishing, I think you ought to eat. I think you ought to eat the fruit. You, maybe you'll discover the real you when you eat of this fruit. We know what happened. Adam and Eve ate, and then their eyes were opened to their sin. In our day, the practice of continual self-reflection and the admonition to be true to oneself leads, can easily lead to a blurring of our understanding about ethics and morality. Our thoughts become self-justifying and they make us resistant to truth claims that do not fit our personal proclivities and conclusions. Let me say that again because even in the Christian world, the notion of quiet time, the notion of reflection and meditation. I was talking with my good friend the other day. I, I, he and I both, my a pastor friend, have concerns about Lectio Divina, which how could anything be wrong with just taking a, a scripture and thinking about it in several different ways. Or what. But when you spend too much time in your head, you can get into trouble. So let me say it again. In our day, the practice of continual self-reflection and the admonition to be true to oneself leads to a blurring of our understanding of ethics and morality. Our thoughts become self-justifying and make us resistant to truth claims that do not fit our own personal proclivities, inclinations, and conclusions. And with such a mindset, any behavior can be legitimized. As I was writing this section, I was tempted to list several examples of our efforts to manipulate reality to change the outcomes of God-ordained norms, but I settle for this one, the notion that men can become pregnant. Virtual reality, the practice of catfishing, sex change surgeries, are only a small sample of human attempts to change reality or more pointedly to create a new reality here's the problem in the creation business we're just working with materials that God has already given us there's only one who can create ex nihilo that's God out of nothing God creates. And if you don't think that this is a modern day tower of Babel that we're messing with. Think about it. The more effectively we mimic our creator. The more convinced we become that we are in our own right. God's. And if we are God's. We will not tolerate a God who says that marriage is between one man and one woman. And that the sex with which you were created is more important than gender, 
We're not going to tolerate that. Much less a God who says any sexual relationship outside the covenant bond of marriage is sinful. So we must decide, is it God's way or is it the 21st century culture's way? Our next point speaks to this. And by the way, it's going to feel like a shift. You may think that I'm saying, now we need to go out of here in crusade. Not what I'm going to say. Number four, our responsibility is to proclaim God's creation order in the church. And when the world wants to know, boldness will be required despite the consequences. We're not called to crusade on issues of morality day in and day out. With placards. Now look, we've got freedom, and so consequently, our, our day is different from the earlier day. I don't know if you ever saw the uh, Planned Parenthood movie several years ago. Johnson, I can't remember her first name, gave statistics that it's when people are outside praying, 70, a, a very large percentage of women who are going to go for an abortion drive-through. I, I get the benefit of all of those things. I, I'm for them. I'm not against them. But we are called to proclaim God's creation order in the church, and the world's going to find out about that. And when they want to know, boldness very likely is going to be required no matter what the consequences are. If you're over 40 years old, you likely have trouble processing how quickly and how far the culture has drifted from assent to a from assent to a biblically based morality. We've moved a long way away from that. If you're young, I mean it's just it's intuitive to you that all the, the shifts and the changes, you you get it. You know, you understand. You've got people that say things and you you get it. But for you older ones, you also probably feel that all believers have a responsibility to speak against the drift and to elect legislators who will seek to effect change in a way that you think the laws ought to be written. And, of course, your thoughts are based on the morality of Scripture. As an, and as an American citizen, you certainly have the right to do that. And I would go so far as to say that we have a duty to do that, but it's really complicated because of the freedoms that we have enjoyed for so long, where so many Christians in the world have not enjoyed these kinds of freedoms. And when people say, well, I just think the church ought to do this, are you, do you really think that this kind of culture is the only place God's church exists, how would you, your vision for a church here is going to be a lot different than a vision for a church in North Korea or in Saudi Arabia. Are, do we have brothers and sisters in those lands? We do. I would remind you that Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 makes a clear distinction between believers' responsibility to other believers and then to unbelievers. You'll recall from the messages over the last few months that in Corinth, there existed a culture, if you can believe it, that was more open and promiscuous than our own. Banquets were held at pagan temples after which 
uh, both male and female prostitutes would be made available to the temple patrons, some of these slaves, and many of them underage. This was acceptable behavior that had religious overtones. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul strictly forbade believers to participate in either the sacrificial meals at the temple or in any illicit relationships. We know from Romans 16, now think about this, that Erastus, Paul wrote the book of Romans from Corinth, and we know that Erastus was the city treasurer. Jim and Joy, have you been Joy to Corinth? I can't remember. We were talking about that the other day. Jim and Joy have been to Corinth. Some of you have. I've been to Corinth a couple of times. First time I saw it, there is a stone with Erastus' name on the streets of old Corinth. That's what the city treasurer would do. And Paul tells us that that's who he is. He was in the congregation at Corinth. Now, I'm guessing since the mayor, the council, everybody was at these pagan feasts. And just like the Israelites, we were told in 1 Corinthians 8, sat down to eat and rose up to play. There was a lot of that that went on. In fact, there's a lot of that that goes on everywhere. Erastus' absence would have been noted. So he comes in Monday morning and the mayor says, Erastus, I didn't see you Friday night at the uh, banquet. And Erastus says, no, 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 I wasn't there. Well, why weren't you there? It's important that our city officials are there. It's like, well, I, my relationship with Christ won't allow me to. Now, it, it wasn't that unusual for um, people to have religious convictions. And, and okay, they're given a pass for a while. But it was only a decade later when Erastus and all believers in Corinth were under a much uh, larger microscope or a much more powerful microscope. And they suffered persecution for their faith. I mean, would it be right for Erastus to say, oh, well, you know, just had other things to do. After a while, that's going to... Now, boldness is required when we're challenged. Who knows how far we are from being seriously persecuted for our faith and for our belief that all humans were created in God's image for the purpose of glorifying Him. As followers of Jesus, we're, we're not allowed to compromise our beliefs. You need to go out of your way. You need not go out of your way to advertise your beliefs. But sooner or later, people are going to find out what you believe. If you refuse to celebrate the cultural issue du jour, you might well become a target. And if you belong to a church whose pastor preached a sermon in 2013 or 2022, for that matter, that affirms a biblical theology of the body, well, don't you think we ought to just be all in the Scripture? I mean, when you start saying, okay, I think I see what you're saying. Oh, yes, I think I can justify this behavior. Sooner or later, you're going to come up and you, and you just can't do it. 
But you're way too far down the road. Again, you're on that train that's going like crazy. The church cannot straddle the fence forever. It's time we commit ourselves fully to the principle stated in the last point. Number five, we are called to pursue purity in the church. At the same time, we are blessed to engage the world with the love of Christ. One of the disadvantages of living in this democratic society is that we so easily and readily conflate politics with our Christian walk and thinking. We are called to live holy lives and we're called to help one another pursue purity. But at the same time, we are called to love sinners in the way that Christ loved us when we were in our sins. Why do you not have the same temptations that other people have? Why are you not so dissatisfied with your body that you want to change it? Why were you blessed to grow up in a home that was semi-normal? I mean, as Jeff Foxworthy says, and just remember, everybody's family's crazy. And that's true. We're all crazy, right? But why do you not have the issues that other people, just the mercy of God? Why are you not? With every fiber of your being opposing God in his ways. Because God snatched you out of your sin. We should not be surprised that the world does not think, believe, or act as we do. Have we so quickly forgotten what it was like to walk in darkness? Jackie Hill Perry, in her book, Gay Girl, Good God, I, I, I could not commend this more highly. I would encourage you to listen to it on Audible or whatever platform you have for listening to books. Gay Girl, Good God said this. She's a poet, and that's why spoken word poetry, you, you, you need to hear it. But she said, unbelief does not see God as the ultimate good, so it cannot see sin as the ultimate evil. We're enemies of God right before we're saved. So consequently, we can't expect those who don't know Christ to think like we do. And we're not going to convince them by just giving political arguments or screaming on social media. That's not. You have to love them. You have to show. She talked about, I walked into a church when I was just trying to think about all of this. Or maybe it was right after she was first saved. And there was one lady who looked at her because she was very, I can't remember the term she used, but she was very masculine. She presented herself that way. She said, I walked into the church and and I know how people always look at me, but this one lady just looked at me. She said, what's, what's your name? I said, Jackie. She said, Jackie. And I could tell she was trying to remember. I don't remember the preacher's sermon. I don't remember anything else, but I remember that lady loving me. The people who need Jesus 
love you or doesn't know that you love them? What if someone walks into our services? I hope that they see that we believe in a living God who forgives sins. We know that nobody could have ever been good enough for God to say, just exactly the person I was looking for. Come on in. And you were right about Fox News or about CNN or whatever. No, we're all sinners. We're all enemies of God. And unless something is done about our sin, we have no hope of heaven. Straight, gay, transgender, we all come to Christ the same way. Acknowledging our sins. Our need for a Savior and calling out to Jesus. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Well, Father, we address these topics and issues today because you address them in First Corinthians in the first century. The more things change, the more they stay the same. All of those things are true. But what we acknowledge this morning is true. That you created us in your image. You designed male and female to be joined together in marriage. You designed that no matter what our marital status, no matter what sins we have committed... When we acknowledge and repent of our sins and call out to Jesus to save us, the one who died in our place, who took the punishment and the wrath that we deserve, when we call out to him, you've promised that you'll save us. Oh, Lord Jesus, make us like you. That line of standing firm in the truth and loving deeply those who hate us because they hate you. It's not an easy place, so it's just easier to hate instead of love. But Lord, we can never do that. So fill our hearts with the fullness of Christ. May we think of our bodies as his body. May we think of our actions as those that directly impact him and bring him into our worlds. So, Lord, make us holy as you are holy. We give ourselves to you on this day. And if you're here this morning and... Maybe you've struggled with some of these areas. I please do not want to communicate anything but the deepest love for you. 
that the Lord has given to me uh, who was wicked to the core. Without Christ, I still am wicked to the core. If you would call out to Jesus this morning, he'll save you. It's a surrender. It, it is it's giving it all over to him. And say, I'll do it your way with your help because I can't do it on my own strength. He'll do it. He'll change you. But first, you need to be saved. Call out to him. Father, may it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.